so good to see you. Exciting times. Happy Father's Day to all you who are sitting here. Happy Father's Day to all you who are watching online here. I want to bless you guys. Um, we are finishing up Acts chapter 21 this morning. And so, if you will, make your way over to chapter 21. Um, we, we will pick up in verse 27 um, and read the rest of the chapter and close it off here. Um, I did encourage you last week to read ahead. And um, the rest of this chapter here, and if you did, if you read ahead, um, you probably went right into chapter 22 because it kind of leaves you hanging. Because it's just kind of, it's one of those cliffhangers, if you will. You know, it's like, well, wait until next week. And so you probably just went right in. Maybe you didn't, but I'm assuming you did, because oftentimes that's what happens when you're reading. You're going, why did they stop right there? And again, there was no chapter and verses back then. It was just a story they put in the chapters and verses later on. And so this morning, we will just read to the end of this chapter and leave you hanging for next week or, or next time. And so let's begin right here in verse 27 of chapter 21. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, uh, in, the Ephesian, with him in the city. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, when they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison at Jerusalem that, uh, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs... He had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, crying out, away with him. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the, uh, the uh, Egyptian? who some time ago stirred up the, a rebellion and led 
the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul said, I am a Jew of Tars from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given, them permission, given him permission, Paul spoke on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when they, there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Father, I pray, God, that you would just help me as I share this portion of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is powerful. I want to be able to do it justice, Lord, as we cover this portion that you would speak to me and through me and that you would help my brothers and sisters to have ears to hear what you want them to know. And so we look to you and we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we left with that cliffhanger, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to our, our, our text here where we started in verse 27. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the ending of these seven days, more than likely, were the expiration of the days of purification that, that Paul was encouraged, actually he was told, uh, by the elders to be a part of this whole purification process that, that, again, these guys that were from their group, the Christian group had purified themselves and made an oath and they wanted Paul to be the sponsor of this whole thing going on. And so he had been encouraged, told to, to be a part of this, this time. And so now it seems like it was getting to the end of those seven days, that expiration time. This meant that he, as they were going you know, through this purification thing, that means that, that Paul and these four men who were with him that he was sponsoring had been going in, uh, in and out to and from the temple area. And because it was Pentecost, and Pentecost was at hand here, there were so many people from the known world that were going in, a, in and out, to and from. There was a lot of people. People, people have said, commentators have said, that oftentimes Jerusalem just expounded from a couple hundred thousand people to over a million people that would come for these, these festivals, Passover into Pentecost and, and all of these things. And people were just, the hustle and the bustle. And so there were so many people going in and out. And it says that these Jews from Asia... Seeing him, seeing Paul in the temple. Now understand that these Jews are not the Jews that we saw last week that were having an issue with Paul. Those Jews that we looked at last week, those were believing Jews. Those were guys that lived there in Jerusalem, were a part of the Jerusalem church. These are different Jews. Because everybody's coming in from the known world, these guys had come from Asia, from, from Asia Minor. And more than likely, these Jews were Jews that had come from Ephesus. And the reason I say that they come from Ephesus is that because more than likely, they had recognized Trophimus. Here in verse 29, Trophimus, the, the, uh, the Ephesian. 
So they had probably seen him around town or in that city, which I think is, is fascinating. It's amazing because I've shared with you that Ephesus was about 300,000 people. So more than likely, Paul, because he would go to the synagogues wherever he was at, probably visited a synagogue where Trophimus would go to, even though he's a believer, maybe he got saved under Paul's ministry. And so these certain Jews who have come from Asia had probably been a part of the synagogue that Paul had been a part of, and maybe they remember Trophimus, or they just remember who he is. But they've seen these guys together. Maybe, again, when, when Paul was up in Ephesus for a time, they started seeing more of these two guys together. Paul had a lot of companions around him. So now that they're down in Jerusalem area, all of a sudden, these, Asia, these people from Asia, these Jews from Asia, they've seen him in the temple. They've seen Paul in the temple. And when they saw Paul, and again, they probably had a hard time with him back in Ephesus. But they see him now, and they begin to stir up the crowd. And then they lay hands on him. This sounds very reminiscent of chapter 19. Chapter 19, if you remember, is when Paul was in Ephesus. And I don't know if you remember uh, Demetrius and that whole goddess of Diana thingy and, and how he got his whole gang and band together to come after Paul. And this uproar, this stirring, sounds just like what had happened in Ephesus. It didn't happen in, in the synagogue. It happened in the city out in Ephesus that, 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 that what you call it, um, Demetrius had, had gotten all the city in an uproar. And they were coming against Paul and his companions. And so the phrase where it says they stirred up the whole crowd, it means to commingle promiscuously or shamelessly, i.e. figuratively, to throw an assembly into a disorder, to perplex the mind, confound, confuse, stir up, be in an uproar, pour together. So this word or this phrase to stir up means that they kind of just threw everything together and just kind of mixed together and it wasn't mixing well. There was, there was a lot of confusion. They, they, they were coming together as a whole, but it's causing stuff to boil over. I was trying to think of an analogy and the only thing I can think of is, is when you, you have, I don't know, you know how the kids make their little projects and they, they make like this volcano thing that pops up. You, you know, you have one element and you put another element. And that's what kind of I'm thinking. Because they're mixing these, this whole thing together and all of a sudden it's just volatile. Things are happening. They're, 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 they're commingling these people knowing that they're going to cause a stir. Now what is interesting is this is now... The sixth time in the book of Acts that a crowd has been incited, provoked, instigated, egged on to come against Paul and his ministries. 
From, from chapter 14, twice in chapter 14, we see a crowd getting stirred up. Once in chapter 16, twice in chapter 17, we saw this again in chapter 19, and this is now the sixth time that people are getting riled up because of Paul, because of what he does, because of who this man is. People were coming against him. And it says that they laid hands on him. This is a very aggressive move on the part of these Jews. People were going about their religious duties. They were minding their own business, being there to do their, their things that they do when, when Pentecost was at hand. So there was a lot of people moving back and forth, and people are busy. It's interesting because you would think, again, if it's, if it's become triple, quadruple the size of normal, there's just a lot of hustle and bustle, and there's just a lot of noise going on. If you've ever been to, to places where people are just all over the place, and you're just like this, man, there's just noise. To amplify that a little higher, man, you're going, what is going on? And so, so these Jews, they start a commotion, they put things together, and the noise goes up to another level. So again, if there's a thousand people somewhere, and all of a sudden you start hearing, you're going, somebody's fighting. You know? If you're in high school, man, it's like you hear a commotion, it's like everybody runs, there's a fight, 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 and everybody starts, you know. Maybe that was just me in high school, instigating a fight. Uh, Okay, let's forget about that part. But, but again, there, 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 there's this, this crowd. It's already, the noise is, is already there. And now this crowd begins to pull and tug on because they laid hands on him. So you can imagine kind of what's going on and, and, and understand this kind of scenario. I think lately, if those of you guys who watch the news and watch TV, with all the stuff that's been going on, you kind of almost can get the picture. A large crowd, somebody throws a brick, people start getting a little crazy, somebody starts fires, you know, it just seems normal nowadays. But, but you can understand the scenario, because we've seen it lately in our own lives, that, that really quick... Something that seems somewhat peaceful can become volatile. This is what it seems like is going on here because these guys see him, they stir up the crowd, they lay hands on him, and now the, the, the level has gotten a little higher because these guys begin to cry out, Help! Help! Men of Israel, we need your help! So you can imagine, hey, I'm a man of Israel. Somebody's in distress. <laughs> that must be the guy. Because they're yelling out, help, help. And so now all the attention, all the eyes and all the ears have, is on this group of, of, of people. And they probably have, have them by the arm, have them surrounded. And people are trying to look and see. And all of a sudden, they're yelling out for help from the men of Israel. This is the man. 
This is the man. And that phrase, this is the man, means that these Jews from Asia had already been telling people, maybe they seen him days earlier, but maybe they've already told people, hey, there's a guy here. I don't see him right now, but I will let you know when I see him and catch him. So you could, you could almost sense that, again, this has already gone out to some of the people in the crowd. Maybe the religious leaders, maybe just other people. So, so these guys have been warning. There's a guy. His name is Paul. Maybe you remember him. Maybe you know him. But there's a guy here. And it almost seems like now that they've gotten a hold of him because they've laid hands on him, they're, 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 they're probably gloating that they have found him. And so they're calling for these people to come to their aid and help, maybe not just secure, but even punish this man. Because this is the man. This is the man, because this is what they've been telling him, this is the guy who teaches all men everywhere against the people, against their own people, against the Jews. This is the man who teaches all people against the law of Moses. This is the guy, this is the man that teaches people even against this place. So you can could, you could imagine these people are going, Who, who's this guy? Where could he be? But they finally catch him and point him, this is the man. But these charges they brought against Paul are patently false. And yet, it sounds very similar to those charges that were raised against Stephen some 20-some years earlier, who then Paul, who was Saul, was probably part of a group that was riling up people. Now Paul is on the other end of this, this is the man guy. So they're saying, this is the man who teaches against the Jews, against, against the law, and against the temple. Furthermore, and you're going, there's more to this? Furthermore, because he's already in trouble with these patently false statements and charges. But furthermore, they are accusing Paul of bringing Greeks, Gentiles, into the temple area. That's another patently false accusation and charge that they are bringing against but you see, such an act in the eyes of all Jews, wherever they're from, would have, in their minds, understood he is defiling this holy place. Patently false charges, not so much, that they're bringing against this guy. That wouldn't defile the temple that they're lying about someone without really knowing that he has done any of these things. They're just assuming, as we will see, that he has done all these things. But obviously, 
bringing in Gentiles, that would truly defile the place. Lying, not so much. You see, on the Temple Mount in that day, the temple was basically in the middle, but it was a good-sized thing. It's about eight football fields. It's, it's a big area. And they had this area which is called the, the Court of the Gentiles. And that is where everybody met. That is basically kind of like where the, I, I want to say, that's where the food trucks would be, you know? That, that would be where everybody would be milling around. Everybody could, could go there and sell and buy and do all these things. And then they had different layers as you got closer and closer to the temple. So you had the court of the Gentiles. And then there was another layer that was called the court of the women. But passing through the court of the women, then you came into the court of the men of Israel. And then from there you went on to the temple. And then within the temple is the Holy of Holies. So there's all these layers, and the court of the Gentiles was a big, big area. The Gentiles were permitted to go there, but no further. So as you got these layers, you had walls that separated the, the, the temple area. And beyond the wall were the Gentile, the court of the Gentile, and it was on this side and this side, and then you kind of milled into the, the middle, and it just got smaller and smaller for people to go in. So they were allowed in the court of the area, or the court of the Gentiles. Now that wall there, that they're saying that they have crossed over, that is the middle wall of separation that is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, where it tells us that Jesus has broken down the middle wall of separation, making of the two, Jew and Gentile, one person, one people. So, so now you get the picture. Now, in, in, in some of the commentaries that I'm reading, it, said, it says that on this wall, from the court of the Gentiles to enter into the court of the women which entered into right into the, the court of the, of the people of Israel, the men of Israel. On that wall there was an inscription. And it says, No foreigner may enter within the barricades which surround the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. <laughs> So there was this warning. Now it's interesting because the Romans who ruled that whole thing, the Romans had granted the Jew Jewish religious leaders authority to deal with anyone who broke that law. And they had the right to execute anyone who, who, who passed that. And so we can see how this, this law will play into this important role of what's going on with Paul here. Paul, a week earlier, was asked or told by the religious leaders to sponsor these four men who had been purified or made themselves pure and they had been going to and from, in and out of the temple and the temple area. So you can see the scenario of what's going on in this picture. 
As I told you last week, because we saw that Paul was being accused of similar accusations by the Christian Jews. As I shared with you last week, I am certain that Paul probably talked about and dealt with these types of issues that he is being accused of. So when they say, here's the man, this is the man who teaches against the Jews, against the law, and against the temple, I'm sure Paul, in many, many opportunities, had talked about those things. Telling people when they came to Christ, you are free from all of those things. But never in his writings, or that we read about, did he ever tell people, don't do that no more. He just said, hey, you're free. There's a freedom. God had been showing him that that middle wall of partition had been done away with in Christ. But he never told them. So when you go to the temple, it's like it's not even there. He never told them that. He understood the ramifications of, of the rules that, that, that pertain to the Jewish community. He was going to be respectful of, a, of those things. Even though he might have shared with people, hey, you're free. But he would never have told them, hey, when you go, just be a rebel and, and, and go against everything. He, he probably, no, he didn't. He didn't command every, anybody not to do those things. So you would think that they these Jews from Asia would have sought him out if they thought that he was breaking all these rules. You, you would think that they would seek him out for clarification. You think they would have talked to him back in Ephesus when they thought that they heard that he was telling people to, to, to go against the Jews, go against the law, and go against the temple. You would think that somebody would approach someone for clarifications before they make accusations. Because they're, be, be, before they're accusing him of something that is punishable by death even. Because furthermore, <laughs> he's also bringing Jews or Gentiles in. Because it tells us here in, in verse 29, whom they suppose, when, when they're saying he's brought Gentiles in, Greeks, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. To suppose means to assume, to presume, which is quite different than to actually know. In other words, they, they supposed, assumed, presumed, presumed that wherever Paul went, Trophimus went with him. But they never actually saw Trophimus in the temple. Guys, this is so important for us to understand because I think a lot of us, we end up supposing, assuming, and presuming certain things without actually knowing the truth. And we can get ourselves in trouble and it can be dangerous for us because we can hurt people. We can hurt people by, by assuming certain things. And by presuming certain things, instead of going to that person and saying, okay, here's what I'm assuming is going on. Clarify it for me. But they never did that. 
it, it, it's, it's hard because, again, sometimes we don't want to challenge anybody. We just go with the assumption. And it's not healthy for you and for me. It's not healthy. It, it's easier to confront a brother or sister when you, when, when you have heard certain things. You haven't seen it. And maybe it's none of your business to even share anything after that. If it's none of your business, drop it. And I say that because, again, we get ourselves in trouble. As a pastor, I hear things often, and, and I ask, so, so you were an eyewitness? No, but so-and-so told me. It's like, well, stop right there. Don't take it any further. Yeah, but pastor, I, I, you know, they're, they told me not to tell anybody. Like, note to self, never tell that person anything. <laughs> right? Why would, why would we do that when it's hearsay? These people are doing that. And because of that, they have just caused this big old disruption. The, the, verse 30, and all the city was disturbed. The word disturbed means to cause to go, i.e. to move, set in motion. Which I thought was kind of interesting given the fact that Paul had said in the last chapter, a couple chapters ago now, the last two chapters ago, not last chapter, before he had gone to Jerusalem, he said, none of these things move me. Yet we see the city moved, disturbed. And it kind of gives, gives me, as I was looking at this whole scenario of what Paul had said, what's going on here with the, 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 this disturbed that it's being moved, it gave me the contrast between standing firm and being on shaky ground. Being disturbed, moved, and on shaky ground will cause your emotions to just go full steam ahead while your brain is in neutral. And instead of engaging to figure out what exactly is going on, to put your mind in the right mind, you allow yourself to just cruise through something instead of going, wait a minute, let me stop. We see the mob here. I could guarantee you they are not treating Paul politely, <laughs> to say the least. So everybody's riled up. Everything is happening. People are disturbed. They're being moved. They're, they're going with their emotions instead of realizing and understanding whatever the facts may be. And it tells us in verse 31, Now as they were seeking to kill him, that's how far they've gotten. <laughs> now, if in fact Paul had done what he is being accused of, they had every right to put him to death. But they are not going through the proper channels. They're not bringing him before the religious leaders. They're not bringing him before the Sanhedrin so that he could have his day in court. They're just taking him and they are beating him. And they are intending to kill him. <laughs> if 
If you ever find yourself in a situation where you want to kill someone, literally, verbally, emotionally, and I would even put it this way in this day and age, on your social media, you are probably on shaky ground at that moment and not in your right mind. And what you need to do is stop before you send, before you speak, before you let your emotions get the best of you and then have to realize, what did I just do? Now, I know some people would say, oh, Pastor Zeke, man, you just take things so overboard. You just go way out there, man. But I would, I would have to say that most, if not all of these people that, that, we, that are in this crowd, in this group, probably didn't wake up that morning thinking that they could possibly kill someone that day. They probably weren't thinking, hey, I wonder if I'm going to get to the temple if we're going to kill anybody today. But they were caught up in the emotions because they were all on shaky grounds. Instead of somebody going, wait, 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 wait. We're not even going through the proper channels here. <laughs> Let's grab him, but they're beating him. They're, going, they're about to kill him. Instead of somebody stopping to say, Let's slow down here. Nobody does that. And oftentimes, people, if they don't put the brakes on, if they don't engage, they just go with the flow, and people get hurt. And again, when I'm saying, you know, to kill someone literally, you know, people are going, come on, pastor. It's like, no, there's times people, people hurt each other bad. They didn't intend to, but they did it. And when you start thinking about verbally, how many times have you killed those people you, li you love because you, you, you didn't engage emotionally? You've killed them in your heart time and time and time and time again. Again, I don't do social media, thank God, because I'd probably be in prison right now for killing so many people. <laughs> because people are like, boom. Man, you just caused mass murder. Not one of these people, I don't think, that morning thought that they'd be beating someone up to the point of killing someone. Thank God the news came to the commander of the garrison at Jerusalem. 